Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Dan Pontefract is a leadership strategist, author, keynote speaker, and trusted advisor. He's a best-selling author whose award-winning books include Lead, Care, Win, How to Become a Leader Who Matters, Open to Think, The Purpose Effect, and Flat Army. As a speaker, Dan has presented at four different TED events and also writes for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria, Gustafsson School of Business, and on the Thinkers 50 Radar plus garnered more than 20 industry awards over his career. He is also the founder of the Pontefract Group, helping organizations and leaders reach their full potential. Through his company, Dan provides clients consultative services that assess and recommend how to become more collaborative, productive, engaged, and purpose-driven. All of Dan's work is nested under the concept of agency. He believes in the age of agency is upon us, be it employee, team, organization, or community. From Dan's point of view, agency will become the glue that binds our book of worth. Dan, welcome to the One Away Show. Hey, Brian. Um, it's an honor, to be honest, having seen some of the guests you've had before. This is uh, great. Looking forward to getting into my my one wish, my one... My <laughs> your, one, one your, your one away moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> Could be a wish for others by the time they're done. So. Right. And, and for those that don't know, uh, Dan told me prior that he had a keynote uh, after this. So I told him that this would be a great warm-up for him. So if his performance skyrockets, you know, Dan, you'll have to tell me. So, all right. Dan, as, as you said, it's an honor to have you here too. Followed your work for a number of years. So thank you for what you do. Um, you know, helping people lead and employees and all, all the great things. But I want to get, I want to dive on something personal and, and, or, you know, professional as well in the moment in your life that changed the trajectory of in your path for the better. So what is the one away moment you want to share with us today? Well, I'm, um, I guess, if anything, a bit uh, different. So I'm going to explain one that turned into the one because they can't, I can't unseparate them. So Great. it's, it, I'm Canadian, which it's two for one with the exchange with America. It's basically, Two American dollars for a Canadian one. <laughs> so when I when I was going to university or thinking I was going to university, I wanted to be a doctor. And then I sort of I have pretty good marks, right? And you kind of get into that notion where you're like, oh, what can you do with these good marks? And so I went to McGill University in Montreal. But as I'm leading into the uh, summer of good God, 1990, I realized that I didn't really like the the look or taste of blood. Uh, and so I wasn't a vampire. That's the good news. And the second is I, I wanted to do something with my life. I, I figured out really quickly that maybe wasn't getting people back to their 100% level, uh, but something more than 100%. So I went into the guidance counselor's office at McGill University before I started. I said, hey, I don't really want to do this. Um, what else do you have? And she looks at me like I am actually crazy and hmm. says, uh, no, you're, you're supposed to be doing this. Like, no, I'm not doing it. Hmm. And so we went through a list of things. She's like, how about engineering? 
<laughs> like, no, my dad's an engineer. That's not going to work. <laughs> and then I, I, I literally said, hey, what about education? And she says, you can't do education. You're too smart for that. And then right away, Brian, I'm like, okay, I'm going to show you. And so I did a, I switched into a BA, B.Ed., Bachelor of Education, to become a high school teacher. Did that for four years, taught a whole bunch of times because it was concurrent, meaning you got to teach, you know, as a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, whatever. And then I graduated and I got a job. And so this is where it segues into the, the real one. And that is um, the guidance counselor, although, you know, I didn't want to be an engineer. She was probably right, but I still proved to her that I'm an educator. So here's the deal. <laughs> I'm teaching high school. It's so my first gig. And... It's October the 12th, and in Canada, we celebrate Thanksgiving six weeks earlier than my American friends. And so it's the Tuesday after American or Canadian Thanksgiving, sorry. And I'm in the staff room, and one of the teachers in the staff room before the beginning of school says, well, that's Thanksgiving over with. We've got... Another holiday on November 11th, Remembrance Day. Then it's the Christmas break. Uh, then we've got St. Patty's Day, because we get that off, apparently. Then there's March break. Then there's Easter. Then it's the May 2-4 weekend, a long weekend in Canada called Victoria Day weekend. And then it's, and then it's holiday. It's, it's summer. The year's over, everyone. And so here I am, basically a 24-year-old punk whom was wondering what the hell have I done? And subsequent to that, I lasted teaching two years in a high school and decided that I needed to be really helping people that wanted to also help themselves. Mm. It wasn't about the kids. Kids were fine. But I just I couldn't do that lethargy in terms of the culture. Yeah. And I got out and I worked my way into this career uh, where I've helped adults and organizations essentially with leadership, culture, purpose, and all that. So had I not sat in that guidance officer's office and said, I don't want to be a doctor, and then had the epiphany with the teacher or teachers in that staff room that day about, you know, they, they were just paycheck collecting. And here they were as educators. I guess ultimately I wouldn't have been where I am today without those two moments, which kind of coalesce into one. Wow. Really appreciate you sharing and some hard decisions. Clearly uh, you had to make at a young age uh, that, you know, can't please everyone at, at home or at the counseling office. Uh, you said your father was an engineer. What, what was your mother? An artist. Okay. So my question is, you know, what what made you maybe early before you did even education what what gave you the inclination that maybe doing the medical field was that maybe uh internal kind of uh, at home <laughs> i or? love this you're intuitive i've seen some of these shows before it's kind of like part psychology part epiphany that, um <laughs> well it's no it's it's a it's a great it's a great question because when i was a teenager between I guess the ages of 12 to 18, I, I mean, for a Canadian, given the sport wasn't really that popular per se, I was pretty good at soccer, you know, English parents. And thus I had a pretty good soccer career. And I'm talking about like 
you know, playing for provincial teams, trying out for national teams, like not a bad soccer player. Anyway, I got uh, ridiculously injured uh, one session and I had to, as a 16 year old, um, go under the knife and back in, you know, 87 or six, whenever that was, um, orthoscopic surgery wasn't really a thing. <laughs> it's kind of like the internet wasn't involved. You're like what the internet wasn't? No. So no internet, no orthoscopic surgery. And so they had to like put me in a, a body cast for three months. And then what they called a hinge cast for another three months to repair my knee. And a hinge cast actually is just like that swivels yeah. about an eighth of an inch. Like it's not a lot of mobility. Mm. So anyway, I'm like, once the casts came off, my, my left leg was about the, you know, eighth of a size of my right leg. Uh, I, I was sick to my stomach literally when the cast came off because my, my leg had atrophied to the point where it's just like a bone and you're like, okay, that's gross. But then I had to go to physio for like the next eight months. And so between the doctor's visits, the physio and sort of learning, right, about the whole medical profession before Gray's Anatomy told us what it's all about. That's where I got this inclination. That that's how I wanted to help people. Uh, so it was a it was an injury. Yeah. Wow. That sounds quite disturbing with the cast moment. Maybe that was the one away moment. We should know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So we're at, we're at seven away moments. Fantastic. <laughs> no, this is fun. Um, you know, it's so interesting, right? How those, those, those experiences can, can set you down. Like, wow. Like I, I, I want to learn more, help others through this, but you know, dove in and maybe saw the uh, chemistry and biology classes that you were going to take and said, I can't, I can't do it. Um, but no, I, I appreciate the backstory. Uh, obviously tough injury, but uh, clearly helped help you get to something of more purpose to help others with purpose. So very cool. Um, and then, you know, my, my question for you and um, you know, you had these two moments, right. And then we'll, we'll dive into maybe the work itself that you're doing. Um, but you've had these two moments in engineering and teaching, where you just knew it wasn't right. It, it sounds like, is that fair? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, like nails on a chalkboard to add a pun to this whole thing. Yeah. And, and was that, I mean, describe that for us, right? What was that an internal feeling, right? Cause it seems like a lot of the work you do, you know, that you're helping people with alignment and purpose, but for you, like, how did you know, to stop and not keep going, even though maybe that was a path you could follow. Like, what did that feel like? Yeah, I suppose, you know, I wasn't the principal and it wasn't about being the leader or the boss or the CEO, but I could only affect the, the, and again, in a school, there's two audiences, right, Brian, there's the, the kids obviously, and their parents by extension, but then there's the staff. And it was the staff that was sort of concerning me. And there were lots of good people, like there were great coaches, great te teachers, but the, the general mood was apathetic. And I couldn't really get past that in my head. I don't want to be one of them. I'm not collecting a paycheck. I'm not here for a pension. I'm here to like, quote, change the world, or at least these kids. And how come everyone's not like me? <laughs> so it was a bit egotistical and naive as a 24-year-old, I suppose. But at the same time, I had conviction. And I had an incredible time in the classroom. And they, I mean, I would argue the kids 
liked me. Like we had great times teaching English, phys ed, math. You know, we I I built a school newspaper for God's sakes. Like just we're out of thin air with these kids, and uh, and I had fun, but it was it kept gnawing at me about this apathy and about how it, it wasn't clicking for me in terms of me looking at uh, whatever 30, 40 year career and saying, am I going to look back and say, why did you do that? So I wasn't having any of that. And then the second part was, well, I do want to change. I found out that I wanted to change the way people think about their work. And so twistedly, I suppose here, I was thinking I was getting into a world where I was going to teach kids. And the aha moment perhaps was the fact that, well, if I, I can teach kids, but I also want to quote, I think help adults and maybe I can help them with the way in which they view the world. So again, had I not taken the gig at this high school, I don't think I would have been able to connect the dots of who I am. I think I'm an educator, uh, be, uh, who I want to be a helper, a giver, uh, an educator of others to help them think differently or perhaps behave differently. And then I realized the environment I needed to be in a place in which I'm not just affecting, you know, 20, 25 kids in a class four times a day, but that I have an opportunity maybe to help that in in many other ways. And so mm-hmm. as I'm playing this back to you now, 25 odd years ago, I think that's what's, that's what's happened. Yeah. So neat, right? You realize maybe your, your impact potential was a bit squashed uh, because you, it was being shared with people who couldn't carry that forward we didn't see the world in the same way i was talking about uh you know we built our brand on a lot of the idea of like belonging and helping people find a path and uh i was talking about this with someone the other day and and, you know they said to me something you know they were talking about like my story and some things i'm working through right now and they said you're just showing up in the wrong show you know most of your life and so as you're talking to me that 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 kind of hit right and as you're talking to me it's like you maybe all along knew your impact was could be seized in a deeper way with the right people. It's just you hadn't found the tribe yet of people to like further that impact until you did. So let's let's go there. You know, teaching sounds like a good experience, but you realized there was a threshold that you know just needed, you know, couldn't go further. And what led you to the work that you do today, which is very meaningful. Thank you. I guess you know, I this proclivity that I've always had as well for technology, um, you know, as a, as an 11 year old, my dad came home with, you know, one of the quote first computers, a, a Texas instruments computer of which you could only make anything work by uh, inputting it with binary code. And it would take you like as a kid, seven, eight, nine hours to punch in ones and zeros you know, to build a sprite game that was like Pong. And so I was kind of a, addicted, if you will, to the technology side, but also to that humanistic, compassionate people thing. So I was like, well, what, how, what can I do to, to blend these two things? Uh, eventually, after I knew, I'd given notice at the high school and my wife and I, Denise, decided to move from Vancouver, which we had just moved to for two years. We moved to Ottawa to take this one-year, all-you-can-eat, high-tech uh, program in now 1997. My theory was, well, if I learn a whole bunch of technology skills, look at this whole internet thing coming. I've got, uh, I've got a proclivity for technology. Maybe I can turn that into a education plus technology career. Hmm. And so I'm like 
it's a one-year program. I'm six months in and I'm thinking, this is great. I love this. You know, I'm doing things like the Microsoft certified systems engineer certifications. I'm like, this is fantastic. Right. Windows 95 had happened and Steve Ballmer's dancing to star me up by the stone, just on stage. He's going crazy. It's like, okay, like this is, I can do this. And so Denise and I also pined deeply uh, again to move back to Vancouver because we hated snow and cold in Ottawa. So I pitched, like literally, Brian, I pitched now as a 27-year-old, I pitched the dean of computing at the British Columbia Institute of Technology this idea that we should, um, we, I was already Freudingly and uh, pseudo asking, you know, hey, you should hire me, but we should be building out these high tech leadership programs for career changers. And that the idea would be that, uh, you know, whether it was networking or business development or tech support or programming, whatever, that, you know, I think people who have a diploma or a degree of some sort right now, they're looking to change their lives because they, they too see what's happening in the world. Again, don't forget now we're circa 97, 98. And the dean and the associate dean, Ken and Lorna, I put together a video, like a VHS video uh, tape of me pitching them. I sent it to them. I said, hey, let's talk. Let's build out a new program. And they said, yes. <laughs> so here I am, this punk uh, in the summer of 98, now tasked with building out the first flagship program to start the following year, and then subsequent programs on, again, the blend of culture, humanistic leadership, kind of business skills with technology. And again, I, I owe a lot to the, the endearing compassion and trust and courage of the dean and the associate dean to say, yeah, Dan, come on board, have at her, if you will. Yeah. You know, and Brian, I had uh, a just, just under a six-year experience of honing my own leadership skills, how to build a business, frankly. It was all um, what's called cost recovery, so there's no government involvement. So you, you had to charge tuition. Tuition ranged from like five grand to 25 grand. Hmm. So you had to like sell, you had to learn about how to build these cohorts of teams they were running simulated businesses inside mm. the programs, right? It was just like, it was magic. And I, I had such a license to learn. And if anything I can impart, you know, in this podcast to leaders is to do that with your teams, give them licenses to learn and you will, you will be rewarded. Yeah. No, I mean, that experience was incredibly formative because it was the, it was the testing ground, right? For you to, do it under maybe another brand, so to speak. The risk was a bit mitigated, but right, you got to really be the entrepreneur that perhaps was a catalyst for for what was to come, and learn a lot of the kind of school of hard knocks under their tutelage, and you know probably have a deep, deep impact and and you know feeling that you know it's I, I guess it's a deeper question, so feel free to answer it or not answer it. But you know you, you described yourself as a punk. Um, you know, trying to bring these ideas to the table. And you also said, you know, they were lucky enough to have me come to them with these ideas. But, you know, they looked at you and said, who is this guy to 
you know, how does he develop, you know, and think about this to make an impact on our organization? And I'm, I'm curious for you then, did you see the value or the worth in yourself that you were bringing to the organization that you were able to impart, you know, such a big impact on? No, I have still to this day, I turned 50 this year. I, I still don't understand that question, uh, to be honest. I've, I've, I've never looked at the journey I've been on as one in which that I need to uh, somehow be told you're awesome or this is fantastic or the accolade is the goal. Yeah. So for, for the dean and the, the associate dean to A, accept my idea, B, allow me the latitude and grace to fail uh, and mess things up, and I did, to, to then with, you know, full-on Niagara Fall tears in my eyes in their office saying, I think it's time for me to move on. Mm about five years later, because I, I also knew that I needed to move on to, to develop my journey continuously. And yeah. I thought I tapped out and it was time for someone else to do something with this program, this whole, you know, whatever. And I also thought I needed to learn more about quote, the real world outside of academia. And that was one of the toughest moments, to be honest. Yeah. So again, to answer the question specifically, like I went tangential there. I, no, but it's not something I sought out. Sure. And, but in hindsight, I do remember that meeting about me leaving. And I the tears came because I suppose, and I not suppose, I know that in that discussion, I felt so loved. Mm. Yeah. Like I really appreciated what I was doing and what I had done. Yeah. Well, appreciate you taking us to that waterfall moment and maybe seeing, you know, the appreciation for you and the work you had done. And of course, right. Not in a cocky way, like you need the validation or I'm awesome type of thing, but in the way of just like, I think it's, I, I think it's so hard for maybe higher achievers. It's just something I'm starting to uncover to realize it's like what's pushing them, right. Is our things of the past in a way they never take the time to slow down and, and like understand that. And then also realize their value through it. And so that's why I asked the question, not from the perspective of, did you realize how epic you were and you know, all that, but you know, just that internal sense of value. So yeah, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you could share. Um, we can move on unless you wanted to say anything to that. No, I think you're, you're spot on the, um, the joy I got was being given the keys to do something pretty creative and pretty cool for adults and, you know, building up this small little enterprise that became, I don't know, it was like two or 3 million a year. Mm. And I'm still a punk really like at the time. And they were so gracious and unrelentingly supportive of allowing me to do all these crazy things that tested out <laughs> the absolute uh, abstracts of how education and leadership and culture could manifest. Thank you for sharing, uh, you know, such a meaningful time in your life and in, in forming a part of your career. So mm -hmm. you had this moment, you realize there's a, there's a world outside of education. There's a life outside for you to grow, develop, build your own, you know, practice and you know, things that followed. 
What were your next steps? How did you go about taking everything you knew from a beautiful five-year journey to saying, you know, how did you step outside the world? I'm sure it was a pretty scary decision. Yeah. So now we're circa 2002-ish. And for the kind of previous year, uh, because I had built up the programs at the Institute of Technology to have... um, you know, apprenticeships and, and work terms and, you know, job shadowing. So I'm plugged into a lot of organizations, mostly Western Canada in the Washington state area as well, because it's the Northwest that I'm based, you know, people started phoning, uh, and saying, Hey, would you like to come work for us? Here's what you could do. And so, you know, that's an adrenaline boost. Of course, you're not applying to anything, but people are phoning you. And, you know, I'm like 31 years old. So that was tempting, but I had to kind of sort through first and foremost, like, why am I interested in these phone calls? And I was interested in the phone calls for the opportunity to, again, learn, uh, to build out the network, to grow something and to get into, quote, as I say, the real world. Right. And again, it's not that academia isn't, but, you know, you're kind of protected. And so I finally accepted one of these opportunities because we had talked it through several times. And it was an organization that, to be quite honest, eventually became SAP. And so the company's name at the time uh, was Crystal Decisions. And Crystal Decisions was the makers of business intelligence software, things like Crystal Reports, you know, and so on. And they had about 2,000 people across the globe, of which about half of them were in their main headquarters in Vancouver. And I thought, all right, well, here's an organization that actually wants to help its people with education. So they wanted to set up essentially like a corporate university. And they thought I might be the, the jolly old man for it. And I thought, okay, well, this is cool. Thank you. Another set of keys, different car. Um, and off we went and, you know, within a month, I'm not only doing the internal stuff, uh, they asked me to do the external education services for profit stuff. And so now, you know, the, the car's on the track and it is revving and it's, it's a, it's fire hose time. Like I am learning acronyms like EBITDA that I had never even heard of before. <laughs> I didn't know what quarterly earnings meant. It's just like, it's full on. Oh, okay. So this is actually what happens. And, and then about a year into my tenure, a French company acquires crystal decisions called business objects and business objects, a, a rival company basically merges with Crystal. And then I assume a larger role in this corporate university, helping now about 7,000 people. And we're growing like crazy. It grows about 10,000 people. I have built now what's called UBI, the University of Business Intelligence. The team is 120 around the world in 10 countries. And that's just helping, again, our team members inside the org, as well as customers. And it's fantastic. It's like, hey, what are we going to do now? How do we build this great culture? How do we build uh, out? You know, how do customers love what we're doing? How do we help consultants deliver? Like, it was just like, you name it, Brian, we were doing it. We were doing crazy stuff, too. This is, again, circa 2002 through to uh, 2007. 
And then I became the site lead of the Vancouver office. There's 1600 people there. So I'm now, you know, leading a site as well as, you know, this global team. And I'm just, I'm having a blast. Like it's, it's a family. If we were even to record our employee engagement, you know, on a score of a hundred, it's probably 112. Like it's just ridiculous. And then SAP uh, announced the purchase of business objects uh, in the fall of 2007. And for about a year, you know, I tried my best um, to, to help SAP see that, yes, they had bought the technology and a whole bunch of smart people, but that they had actually bought a culture mm. that they probably should put at the top of the list in terms of integrating mm. into their culture, wow. not the other way around. Totally. I.e., you know, big SAP acquiring a 10,000 person company and saying, this is our culture, get in line. And, you know, uh, Brian, I failed uh, on that one. My small little team of 120, uh, I was told would be broken up into four and, you know, parsed out throughout the company. And I had a choice, you know, I had the choice of, well, am I, am I actually going to make a difference here? Uh, do they care about me? Maybe even quote my talent and what I, I think do bring to the table, uh, or do I accept that package they put in front of me and say, yeah, maybe, maybe there's someone else out there. And I chose door two, Brian, I took great liberty in making sure that everyone's job was saved, that they were all in a part of the organization, whether they liked it or not, that they could then make their own decisions. And then at some point uh, in the end of June, 2008, I had to have that conversation with the team and said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I'm leaving the organization. And just like I did six, seven years prior at BCIT, the waterfall of tears came out because here I was thinking I was letting down this team. I was leaving something, but I knew again, Brian, in the end, it was the right thing to do. I had to move on. Yeah. I had to go do something different because the journey continues. Sure. I was I was really thinking about uh, just how much, when, how much pride you shared showed when you were talking about the hundred plus person team that you built, right. Along, along this journey. Right. And you're giving yeah. all this responsibility and the culture and, and right. When you think of an acquisition, right. You know, you're not always thinking about what culture are you buying, right? Uh, and that's invaluable. Yet the company acquiring you wanted to, you know, shatter the the bubble, the beautiful, let's just say, world that you, you were able to create. Uh, so, you know, before we talk about how you like moved on, right, to the next door, tell tell us, tell me, you know, what, how did you go about building such a some like sticky culture that cared and valued its people. What, what were some of the things that you remember from that period doing specifically that, you know, made people feel valued, heard, understood, connected, you know, what, what, what would you say to that? One of the, I suppose in retrospect, one of my deepest uh, elements of pride these days are 
are on on LinkedIn or social channels and someone invariably, you know, once a quarter, a couple times a quarter, maybe from the former team of UBI pops in on some comment and says, best team ever. <laughs> so glad that you were my leader. Uh, remember mm-hmm. when we did this? And, and I would say, Brian, that um, uh, A, get out of the way. You've heard innumerable times, you know, hire people smarter than you. Well, do that, but get out of the damn way. And, you know, I think there's far too many examples of leaders that want to be in the way. And that's just not my style. So uh, direction, of course, clarity of purpose. Yes. Uh Systemic support whenever necessary, absolutely necessary. And you know, people say, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't have a family at work." You know, don't don't um, don't treat it like a family. Really, like, okay, sure, maybe the family word is a little too strong, but could could we at least uh, consider the humanity of where and why we're all doing this thing? called work. So, you know, whether you are a team member in Bangalore, in India, you know, what are you doing to make sure you understand the culture that's different for them, the means in which that they have to get to work, you know, how they travel to get to work, in what conditions, and then empathize and and find ways in which to reach, to support, to understand, uh, and so on. And so it to me, it's always about that. It's always about what are the humanity and humanistic uh, characteristics and attributes that 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 should inculcate an entire culture. And if your team is seven or your organization is 7,000, like what are you doing as a leader to build that? Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, so again, back to me, which is very un-Canadian uh, and very selfish, um, This was another like six or seven year chapter of me understanding more about the human condition, what makes people tick, how the real world works, but how you can, uh, you know, quote, work in the real world and still be a human being and Mm. still be compassionate and empathetic and nurture and, 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 and love. I mean, you can't, there's nothing wrong with the word love. It can just be platonic. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, uh, it seems like you really thought about, you know, the actions and decisions you made, how they had impact on others, the, you know, how you let them drive decisions and empowered them. And I, I want to get to how that is, you know, enabled your work today. But before, before we get there, what drives you? What makes you tick? Oh, gosh, there's a few things. Um, one is curiosity. I am looking under any rock I find proverbially and, and figuratively, I mean, what's under there. And, and it just fascinates me, the people who remain in the lane and the swim lane and, and don't look under the rope and say, Hey, who are you? Oh, that's a butterfly stroke. Hmm, didn't know. Uh, I've just been doing breaststroke all my life. Tell me about the butterfly. Right. And so I, I have a penchant and a thirst and this just absolute curiosity factor that I just, I want to I want to know what's underneath the hood. I want to know what's underneath your hood. Uh, I want to get to know you. Like, anyway, so curiosity is just number one, which I guess you could also argue this, um, you know, I have a, a learning mindset. 
right? I just, and to the, to my three kids and Denise's uh, detriment, you know, I'm always curious and asking and learning and trying to get us to do things as a family different and whatever. Um, so it doesn't, it's not just work. It's life. It's just that. This is what you see is what you get. I'm like wizzy wiggy. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, that, um, but the other one is I, I'm uh, terribly empathetic. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like to see pain, um, whether it's cognitive, uh, emotional or sympathetic empathy. I, I just, I kind of, I look out for others, I suppose. And so, you know, whether it's little texts or emails, you know, every time this year, whether it's, uh, whatever holiday that you celebrate, like for the past month or six weeks, I've been sending out, you know, cards to people and just saying, Hey, I haven't chatted with you in a while. I don't do it every year. I kind of haphazardly send out cards to people and say, thinking of you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess empathy huge for me. So curiosity, empathy makes me tick. Yeah, no, I love that. And, uh, Hammer and cards these days, uh, the yeah. 0.004% of the people actually do them. So when you do them, it sticks. So, uh, no, it's good. And, you know, talking about at home, you know, your behaviors at work will show up other places and I'm sure it makes a stimulating family environment, right? Keeping, uh, you know, education at the forefront. Uh, it sounds like, you know, always learning. So, you know, really neat, you know, just hear kind of internally kind of how that shows up externally in your life. So, Dan, I, I would love to um, you to share, you know, you, you had some incredible experiences. You had the education experience and you had, then you were in charge of leading a, a big team and growing a big team and, and seeing culture first and foremost. What, what ultimately led you to starting your business to maybe impart some of these lessons and learnings on organizations and people? Probably, Brian, it was uh, actually always in me. Um, however, it wasn't until in 2008, in December of 2008, when I joined TELUS, which is for those that aren't aware, kind of like AT&T of Canada, uh, big telecom, uh, it's about 15 and a half billion dollars of revenue these days. So I joined as its chief learning officer. And in that role, I joined because there's an opportunity to help fix a culture that was not so hot mm. uh, by indicative of its, you know, employee engagement score. If people believe in that, the sort of annual or twice a year score of asking people, you know, do they like where they work? Basically the, the engagement score was 50%. So half the people were kind of there and half the people were not, but I, I, I accepted that one again, going through the process of having left SAP and now people phoning and saying, hey, we want to come work for us because I was a free agent. This was an opportunity. I was like, oh, I've never been in telecom, uh, culture change. Let's do this. Like, sounds, sounds, sounds like fun. So uh, to speed up the story, I stayed in that role for about five years and we got the culture to a really cool place. You know, we introduced flexible work styles 10 years before the pandemic where we had 70% of the organization work in mobile or from home. Uh, engagement got to 87% from 50. Uh, and you name it, we probably did it. We did virtual worlds. We did hybrid events. Wow. We, did, uh, we instituted an enterprise-wide leadership model for all, not just for leaders. Wow. Uh, a pervasive learning model where learning was not just you know, uh, a training event, 
that it was equal parts, formal, informal, and social. Again, 08, 09, 2010. You know, so we were using microblogging. We had executives microblogging inside our organization. Uh, we got them to do open mic lunch and learns where there was no pre-formulated questions. It was just open up, share. So again, I, I have I had a CEO and a COO and a CHRO that all were behind me and like basically said, hey, have at her. <laughs> like, okay, I've heard this before. This is great. This is like, I'm now three for three in opportunities basically where senior leaders have said, go for it. And um, so long way away of saying, did that for six years. And then I was like, okay, well, I really like this organization, but I think I'm done this. And so I was thinking about, you know, eventually an exit to build out, you know, a business. And so I pitched our, our COO. I said, Hey, um, what if we did uh, this? What if we took all the learnings of how we do culture change, how we do, you know, employee engagement, all that stuff. And what if we were to sell it and or give it away to our clients. And I did, they did look a little crazy at me when I first proposed the idea, but eventually they came around. They're like, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. Dad. And so I gave, I launched, I uh, gave birth to something called TTO, TELUS Transformation Office in 2014. And so I kind of handpicked a few team members, the members of the Troubadour, that we would go out and literally like help our sales execs get into accounts by helping that organization see that they had some culture issues, but we're here to help. And did that for four years until, you know, the summer of 2018 in which, you know, demarcation point again, right? Right. It's like, okay, well, time to learn again. And so, so the Pontifrac group, which is a, it's a pun, it's irony because it's just me, but I like it. It's fun. The Pontifrac group gave, was born on January 1st, 2019. And don't forget though, like during the TELUS tenure, you know, here's a point in which I've now written three books and published them. I've delivered four TED talks. HBR asked me to write Forbes asked me to write. I'm doing like 30 keynotes a year. So like, there's a little bit of an external brand thing that's also happening within mm. TELUS, which is, yeah. I don't see a lot of it. Like, I don't see a lot of folks that are able to do both. Tiffany is pretty good at, at Salesforce. There's a few others, but nonetheless, anyway, so I was like, okay, time to go on your own. And I did, but then, you know, the first client to win my business, I suppose, was TELUS. They right away said, hey, can we get you on a retainer to help, you know, things around here? There you are. I'm coming towards the end of my third year and still Pontifrac Group is a company of one. Loving what I'm doing. That's amazing. Wow. You've, I mean, there's a very consistent thread line, right? Throughout, I think this um, whole episode uh, of two things. One, the fact that, like you said, you always had it in you. You were building kind of companies, you know, at every place that you went or new ideas within. Um and I'm sure that that thinking, right, with the clients that you get to work with, we, I'm sure that comes through in, in your work there. And so I, I just find it fascinating. Like every place you've been, you, you've succeeded. Um, I know it's been harder and I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, some hard challenges along the way that we've skipped over, but, you know, you found some, you know, it's good success. And then the second thing too, is like, um, 
these platforms, right? These companies you worked with, in a sense, were platforms to build the relationships and the skill sets and the tool belt, right? To transfer into, you know, the team of one, maybe the team of 10 in a few years um, that uh, that you have today. So I just think it's really interesting, kind of your journey and your path. So, you know, for those, um, not for those, but for you, you know, you've had a couple of years, you know, probably the pandemic, which has been a nice time to get some stuff off the ground. But what, what, um, What's your journey been like the last couple of years? Where are you in the business? Who who are you working with? Or I mean, or to what you can share and yeah. uh, you know, take us down uh, the memory lane of the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit of a psychology experiment being on a couch, the Freudian here, but looking back at 25 years and then now the last three, you know. So we we I go live January 1st, 2019. As I mentioned, tell us was a my first kind of anchor client on a retainer. Um, but then again, like it's now I'm, I'm untethered, uh, from, you know, obviously a executive role. I had, uh, the previous 10 years of engagements, whether they were keynotes, whether they were books, whether they're articles, whether people are, uh, hacking away on a comment and LinkedIn, like there's just, I was, uh, I am networked. And so 2019, it became, a, oh, so you're not working at TELUS full-time. Hey, can you do this? Could you do this? So I was like, okay, I have no plan. I just sort of knew that I was going out there. And, um, and I, you know, whether I, I often, Brian, talk about the punch fact group, again, irony aside, it is a pie graph. And so the pie graph is basically me. So what do I like? What do I enjoy? Well, that's the line of businesses. So you don't make much writing, but there's a, a good portion of pie graph, if you will, uh, a, a slice of the pie is writing. I really enjoy the process of researching, of interviewing people, of collecting ideas and then piecing it together. And so there's time there on the writing side. But then where kind of the actual uh, or more substantive revenue comes from um, breaks down essentially into four other pie slices. So there's what I'll call uh, keynotes and that's, you know, a 20 minute to 90 minute virtual or face-to-face -face engagement, obviously. And it's more often than not a one and done. I'll just say now, sometimes those keynotes might turn into something else, which is pie graph slice number three of the, of as we're going up the list here. And, um, and that is, I'll just call them series. So series could be multiple kind of keynote engagements or indeed workshops. And so again, that's a chance for me to be the educator. I started out, you know, 25 years ago. And so that might be a six part series, might be a, like a three part series, uh, whatever it is. And I get to work with people or an organization or a team specifically over a period of time. And that's fun. Cause again, you're, you're getting more rapport, you're building out the relationships, you're getting to, you know, the nuances, et cetera. So that's pretty cool. And then Pygraph, like four and five, the last slices here. So number four, uh, five, I will say is consulting. So I'll do things like culture assessments, flexible work assessments. I'll go into organizations and say, hey, you know, what do you, what do you need? I'll work with the board. I've done org design, org charts, right? Like uh, leadership models. So all of my previous experience from the big three companies or organizations I work with come to fruition. It's sort of like I'm a a hired gun to help with something. And, and I love it because again, it plugs me into uh, a team or an organization or both. Yeah. 
And then the fifth one is just, you know, I would call it one-on-one. So that could be guidance, Sherpa stuff, you know, help them up the mountain. I don't really call it coaching, but it is kind of like just, Hey, I'm your, uh, conciliary. If you're, you know, a Tony Soprano fan, I am on the sidelines, not in the front, uh, lens there. And that's my pie graph and it's been a blast. And so quickly 2019, I didn't really know what I was doing, but still did pretty good revenue wise. Uh, 2020 had a whole bunch of things lined up. Sure. Deer and headlights happened when the pandemic hit, but then all of a sudden people woke up and said, Oh, we need leadership and flexible work and hybrid work more than ever. Hell, Dad, are you there? I was. And then 2021 has been very much of the same, uh, as 2020. Yeah. Uh, with, with way less travel. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, uh, super interesting journey how you kind of broke out your products uh, or how you productize, right? Your knowledge and your work. And I kind of love the, the Sherpa example because, you know, it's probably within that, those learnings of your past that the seeds are spread across the, the other products in a way. Uh, and the more you got up others, the mountain, right? The more valuable. So super neat. Now, this pie chart, I think it's more fun to think about it in, in the terms of a pizza because, you know, it tastes good. Yeah. Uh, if you could, uh, <laughs> what what piece of the pie do you do you find the most fulfillment or gratitude from? Well, again, that's tough because, uh, yeah, and together the, the pie is <laughs> the ingredients, right? Um, well, again, I, I think this is a, a bit of a lesson for others. Like, I'm not saying I'm right or being pretentious here, but... I think having different um, personas is important. There's there's executive Dan, whom is the consultant who goes in and is very strategic and clear, and there's a process. And but then there's fun and happy, engaging on the stage Dan, who has almost an alter ego. Uh, you know, uh, as we say in England, takes the piss out of the audience sometimes about the realities and the banalities, right, of what goes on in the organization. And I have a hell of a lot of fun with that character. You know, maybe it's a bit like the Colbert Report, where you're sort of at times playing a character for an audience. So it's really hard to answer, to be honest, man, right? Because like different personas require different dance, and that's okay with me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying to pick a favorite child. Okay. <laughs> Good, because I have three. At least. <laughs> All right. So we, we spent a lot of time on the past. Um, so thanks for my your uh, Freudian openness, as you uh, maybe coined. Let's let's go into the future because I think a lot of the fun is in the future and in the building. Uh, it is dictated by the past. So take for for as many years as you can go out. It might be five. It might be ten. It could be thirty. Where where is Where's future Dan? What does life look like uh, in the areas of your life that you hear about? So when I, uh, when I left TELUS, I started writing a book that was uh, a, like kind of like my leadership principles. So I'd done three books during the TELUS time, one on culture, one on purpose, one on thinking. Uh, 2019, I started writing what eventually became the fourth book called Lead, Care, Win. And that's that empathy, leadership, but still being clear and strategic leadership principle book. There's nine kind of lessons in the book. Purposely put it out in the pandemic because I thought it was needed. And then so since that came out in September of 2020, um, you know, I've been thinking exactly this question, Brian. Like, okay, what's Dan? Where's Dan? Why Dan? What's the, you know, the next 10 years? Partially because I hit that, you know, seminal 50-year age moment. And partly it was like, Okay, because you've heard my career for the last 40 minutes, like 
every kind of three to five, six years, I'm like, okay, what's next? How am I going to grow? And so to be a little more succinct, because sometimes I blabber on, uh, I think I've, I've nailed it with an idea called uh, decoding. And so the banner brand and next book uh, will be called Decoding Work. Mm. I think I've been actually now put on this planet at hindsight after these 25 years to help X and obviously millennials and Z and whatever's after Z with the, the nuances of how to decode work. Why is this this way? Why am I this way? What can I do to alter, fix, mediate, remediate this, that, or the other? And again, it's written from a, and again, my theory is that this is a decoding work banner brand and book to begin with, but then there are probably going to be offshoots decoding the boss, right? Decoding mm. the team, decoding this, decoding that. So I think that's, that's why I've been put on this planet in hindsight, uh, to get to this point to, for the next 10 years to help people and to continue my learning and curiosity of what else is going on to help decode that, um, mm. for others. So there you go. The great simplifier. Um, oh, no, yeah. I, 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 am a, I am a simple pea headed man. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, you know, it's interesting, right? You're, you're helping so many find their own purpose and in certain ways and while well, you're finding your own and, and, and kind of seeing how that plays out. And I think that's meaningful, right? It gives you direction and the North star to kind of guide you the compass. So, um, you know, very cool. I'm, I'm excited to watch how it plays out. You've done a lot in your, you know, let's just call it short career. You have lots of years left to make an impact and, uh, you know, excited for you. And, um, you know, what, what's to come, uh, and where can people find your writing, your books, your website, you know, where where do you want it to LinkedIn? Where do you want to take them to? Uh, yes. Uh, (laughs) there's only one Dan Pontefract, which is weird, but, uh, it's not, you know, um, it's not a very common name. So I hate to say this, but you could Google my name and you'll find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, website, but yeah, danpontifrac.com uh, also is available for you to peruse. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for showing up. This was such a blast and uh, talk soon. Brian, I can't thank you enough. Help me through this catharsis in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> great, great for a Monday morning. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Cheerio, mate. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.